Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hey, hon, it's me, Danielle. I'm a licensed clinical mental health counselor, and I'm here to talk about all the ways multi-level marketing and mental health do not mix. It is important to know that this podcast is not meant to diagnose or for treatment. This podcast is based off of personal experiences and opinions and is meant to educate and entertain. Now sit back and start healing with me on this episode of From Huns to Humans. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of From Hunts to Humans. I am so excited to have Dave Vaughn here. We have connected a while ago and we kind of have been ships passing in the night and now we finally made it happen and I'm so excited. Hi. Hi. Hello, Hunts to Humans audience. Um, <laughs> it's really good to be here. I, yes, certainly the last time completely on me. Um, so thank you, Danielle, for, for inviting me back. And I think that this is a great time to be able to chat because we're, we're moving into some, some heavy activism stuff in this last week of FTC comment period. So I figured it'd be a great chance for us to talk about some of that. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like last time we were really loud. We really did a lot and um, we might've been a little bit too loud um, to fill our activism shoes um and kind of burned burned ourselves out a little bit from all of the things that we put together last time because we've been real quiet this time around for what's going on which is unfortunate but we're here we're in the last week so uh if you don't know what we're talking about um actually before we get there um Dave do you want to like introduce yourself for anyone that doesn't know who you are and what you do sure. in this space let, let, let's not assume people know who I am because I am pretty <laughs> silent in terms of being a uh, front-facing account, uh, but uh, I'm happy to start there. So for me, I, I live in Taiwan currently. I'm an English teacher here and I teach uh, English literature currently for grades 7, 8, and 10, uh, which is really fun. I, I, I enjoy this experience. I'm working in an American school, so we use an American curriculum to teach um, several novels and, and just sort of helping students express themselves in English um, more appropriately. And then they often go on to universities in the States. Um, expensive endeavors nonetheless, but, but certainly a, a fun experience to sort of help prep them for that. Um, it kind of helps me um, absorb their perspective uh, in terms of what life is like in Taiwan and then them having to transition to America because I'm doing the opposite transition for myself of coming to Taiwan, being a Canadian myself um, and um, just sort of uh, adjusting to the culture. 
Um, and that was sort of uh, my experience as well in um, being, <laughs> being introduced to MLM here uh, in, in Taiwan. Um, I had uh, met uh, a, a friend um, at a, just, we, we, we sat down together and, and we really sort of hit it off. Um, I was learning about his uh, um, business that he was running as well as him working for an Airbnb, which sounded interesting um, where he lived in Taiwan. Um, and hearing about his business, it was very sort of vague in terms of the details, which is not surprising now that I know more about the MLM space. Um, but he was telling me that he ran a online shopping portal and that people could shop there and they offer different tools for people to uh, own a business and he helps out with that business with a team. Um, and all of this sounded very vague. I'm like, does it have a name? Like, how do you work in this? And he's like, oh, well, we, we do it with a bunch of different companies. There's so many products. You can buy Nike and Apple stuff on here. And I was trying to tease it out, knowing nothing about the multi-level marketing space, knowing nothing about these opportunities that were given to people. Um, and he shared with me a video um, that the company produced. And I learned that it was Market America uh, or shop.com as it's typically referred to here. Um, it's run by J.R. Reidinger, who has since passed away. He just passed away this past year on uh, vacation with uh, his family on their really expensive yacht, I think in Croatia. Um, and for who someone who became my ex at the time, they didn't seem totally invested in, in the company while we were dating, but in the process of us dating, they seemed to be pulled deeper and deeper in um, to the organization and their loyalty was tested in a way from their um, team members, seeing whether or not they wanted to commit to it. And it was really confusing for me because as I was sort of coming to understand what kind of pressures he was facing, I remember I was traveling to visit him, which is usually about a, a four, three or four hour trip from where I was living in Taiwan at the time um, to go and visit him on the weekends. Um, I was listening to the Dream podcast on uh, the bus ride and just having this sort of awakening moment. And this, I, I almost went through a villain phase of being like, hmm, maybe I can help him with this. And then not only villain in terms of like trying to lead other people into the group, but also villain in terms of like, how can I manipulate the compensation plan to hurt the company, but still help my ex? Like I was trying to like play with like, what if he like built a big downline, but then everyone in that downline was sort of pumping their sales into the bottom of the organization. So all of those, all of that money was flowing up to the top people trying to like game the system in my head in a way to try to try, try to help. Because I mean, ultimately I was trying to approach it from that perspective while also understanding like, this is a scheme that's really trying to disadvantage people. And is there any good in this? Like I, I remember when I was entering this space and not really wanting to totally bring it up with him at the time, because obviously I, I held some reservation knowing that this wasn't going to be received in a very sort of open manner. So I wanted to make sure that I equip myself with as much evidence as possible before sort of confronting him about it. Right. But unfortunately, before I had the chance to do so, um, I was somewhat excommunicated. Um, I remember it was uh, at a time where 
I, I was actually looking to use his connection to the company to purchase a set of like Apple TV uh, products. Our, our school was not buying them for some reason. Me being the teacher that I am, I was like, this is a really useful tool for us to have in the classroom. Maybe I'll just purchase it myself. Okay. I was like, if I'm going to purchase it myself, why don't I give him the extra like IBV credits that he would get if I was ordering through him? But he was not interested in in helping me purchase it all which was confusing to me because i'm like this is a product driven business like why why is this sale not interesting for you i think i've since sort of come to the realization that it wasn't the fact that he needed these points in order to meet the any sort of like monthly requirement or any benefit for himself right really the the value in the business was getting people to sign up for the program and then having their regular monthly purchases sort of flow up into his business volume which would then reward his upline and then he would get sort of some of that sort of overflow or benefit or warm glow from from the people that were above him but really sort of that pressure that was on him at the time was not to get more points because he had enough of that it was getting the recruits below him that would then produce more volume to then sort of satisfy the whole business and continue to grow the system because it gets into too many details but a lot of these companies they have very different comp plans but yeah. I, i'm sure you're familiar with with this too within beachbody it's a binary system yeah so you have one leg that is your power leg and one leg that is kind of like your your weaker leg um and but that's the leg that you're paid on and he was becoming that for his upline. So then there was a lot of pressure to be able to sort of stack his side, but his upline could only offer him one recruit. He needed to find another recruit to help build out the organization for his upline to be able to gain the sort of volume, the business volume that he wanted. So it was like, I didn't have any concept of this at the time. So it, it, I mean, I'm coming at this and I, I think that there's other listeners of your podcast as well that really come at this from a, a point of view of like, I'm an outsider to all this. No one really wants to be very forthcoming about this information because I think one, they're confused and don't really know how to present it to someone who's not in the business and likely not interested in getting involved. How was I going to be able to sell any opportunity in Taiwan when I can barely speak the language to anyone, right? So right. there was no real use to telling me about it. But in addition to that, just not, I think on some level, and, and fortunately he's out of the MLM now, um, but I think on some level, he also knew that it was not something that he was that proud of. Um, I think there was sort of this, this layer of wanting to protect you, me from being involved in it. And I can so. totally relate to that because I remember I had some people, especially as I was getting disenchanted, but I, I like, didn't really understand my cognitive dissonance and all this stuff. Um, there were some people that would approach me and they'd be like, oh, like, what are you doing now? Like, oh, I'd love to buy skincare from you. I'm like, yeah, like, I mean, if you really want to, <laughs> like, right. like I was really like, I mean, it, it, I guess like, I'm not going to tell you no, but like, also I'm like, don't like, you don't have to do that to like, yeah. do something for me um, was kind of where I was at. And I like, I had several points where this happened and I've, I've never actually vocalized that before, but I remember like very specific points where I had somebody, um, actually, I think it's the same person almost every time she would come to me and she'd be like, Oh, like I'll buy this. And I'm like, I mean, if you want, like, <laughs> do you know it, it what, for you, was that because the training that you were receiving from your upline and the pressure that you were getting was the pressure on making those sales or was the pressure on finding 
additional people for the organization or, or sort of what, where was that kind of training centered on? I think that at the time when these things happened was when I was pulling away and like starting to distance myself and like get into like the last time this particular person uh, approached me, I was in the process of trying to start my um, private practice and like all of these things. And I was just like really focused on that and not really focused on my MLM. Thank goodness. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So I didn't really have any pressure anymore. So I was like, why am I going to get this sale for like these products that I don't really care about? And also like starting to kind of be like, do I even believe in this stuff anymore? Mm. So uh, definitely just kind of hitting me at that like disenchanted part. Right. Yeah. I, I know this podcast <laughs> it shouldn't be centered on you, but 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 I'm curious, do you do you know when you started to sort of pull away and, and really sort of look at these other opportunities that you had for your, your practice? Was that defined for you or was it just sort of a slow kind of evolution from where you were? Um, so like I think that for me, I joined for like the last MLM I was in, I was in Arbonne in the um I joined right as I was like kind of getting ready to take my licensing test the first time. And so I joined, I did really well my first month. And then I started to be like, okay, like I need to study for my test. And I took the test. And, but when I was studying, I was spending way more time doing like stuff on my phone for Arbonne and like claiming everything that I was doing was in the name of Arbonne. And then, um, I would, I failed my test the first time because mm. I like by two points. So oh, upsetting. No. I was right. like, are you kidding? <laughs> like, um, yeah. But it's okay. Um, yeah. But I was just like, if I had like actually had the time to study, because these tests right. are, they're designed to trick you. They're not for like the mental health counseling test. They've actually recently redone it. So I can't speak to the new test, but the old test mm it's really not what it's like practicing being a therapist. Like, yeah, it just doesn't like the way that they talk about things is way too cookie cutter. And that doesn't allow for all of the gray areas that are in therapy. And like, they just kind of assume that, you know, information that you don't know, like they'll present a little case and they'll be like, here's all the information. And then like, they assume that, you know, pieces of information that are not given Right. Or, or you on the other side, assume that there is information in here that actually isn't there. And like, you are like, oh, well, like I would do this screening. And then they're like, well, why would you do that? There is no indication of that. And it's like, well, these, you know, anyways, yeah. Um, it's very complicated. It's very much designed for you to right. fail a term that we hear all the time in MLM. They're, <laughs> they're definitely designed to keep people out and to make you keep paying money. Um, but, but, but in a way it's sort of an appropriate in some respects, screening process for, for someone to get uh, a position in uh, an authority to help, right? I, I mean, I I would agree that I think it probably sounds like they have this sort of approach that anyone who's evaluating these tests, they're going to look at it in this sort of lens. And mm-hmm. they, if you take the courses or you pay the extra money to understand what that lens is, then you can do really well on the test. But if you're trying to sort of Build, base it off of your own education, your own sources 
of information. It can be hard to sort of fit within that band of what they're, they're, yes. they're assessing, which is frustrating. That's not how any sort of assessment yeah. should work. Like a, a, as a teacher, I need to be very clear in terms of what I'm assessing my student on. I need to give them a rubric. Um, I was just talking to another creator. If you're in a group project, that group project should have defined roles where people know what they're doing in that role. And they, they should have a rubric for each of those roles that you're being given. Because if you really want to see how someone's learning or if they're qualified to do something, um, it should be very clear what you're assessing. And unfortunately, the test doesn't sound like it's doing that. At no. least it wasn't before. And, but, but linking it back to MLM, it, it sounds like this really made it clear for you what the opportunity cost was to being in the MLM. Like if, right. that, if that is pronounced for someone, um, it seems, I, at least, and you also sort of seem to be in an activated mindset where you're like, I don't really know if this is sort of what I wanna be doing um, right. with the rest of, you had that kind of future space that you could move into. Right, um, exactly. Where I was like, okay, like I've been working on this for so many years and all of this stuff. And then when I went to go take the test the second time, I had backed off a lot. And as I was backing off, like I was yeah. still active. I was active enough that I felt like very offended when people started unfriending me. Right. So I was like, I like, I was still going to like meetings occasionally. Like I didn't go to every single one, but I was still there at least probably twice a month, you know, right. if not more than that, I, I still tried to go. Um, so I was like doing all of the stuff still, but I wasn't as, as active. So I, I took the step back. And I was getting um, excommunicated already. And I was like, huh, right. that's interesting. And then right. um, my my next licensing test was on the same day as some Arbonne event, like online. And so mm. they were like, oh, well, like you should come. Like, is there any way you can like change the date of your test? I'm right. like, all, I'm sorry. All of but... that work that you've done to prepare for it. <laughs> right. And it's not something that you can just change the date of either. It's very much, it's so hard to schedule these tests. There are very few spots to take it. Uh, mm -hmm. They also cost a lot of money and it, it, it was just you like, lose that. Yeah. Yeah. It was so naive of them to say. Um, mm -hmm. And then afterwards they were like, oh, well, like you can swing by when you're all done and like, we can celebrate with you. I'm like, I don't want to celebrate me in this achievement, hopefully, mm -hmm. uh, of me like passing this test that I've been working my butt off for the past, like four years of my life for plus right. four plus years of my life, you know, like that's what all of this has been geared towards. And you want me to celebrate with you? Like, right. Yeah. Buying more products at the convention that you're releasing for right. <laughs> to convince me that I need. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. No. So then it just kept getting more and more pulling away. And then at one point they like released a limited edition protein powder and I bought four bags of it and the four bags came in the mail. And I was like, what am I doing? Right. <laughs> like, it's kind of like I that just this? sort of, yeah, just yeah. you were in that kind of this is what I'm supposed to do mode. You're not really yeah. sort of thinking yeah. about what's going on, even though you're, you're almost completely removed yourself. Like it, mentally you're almost totally removed, but it, it's just sort of that the autopilot mode that they, they really sort of put you in for each month. Like I, I should be buying this. This is what I do. Um, and unfortunately I, I think that there's a number of people that who stay in MLM get caught in that system who are going through the cycles that you have, but they may not have some of those off ramps 
um, right. unfortunately you had in, in yeah in and, I, I'm definitely really towards. really lucky that I saw these things and my friend uh like when my friend and I like reconnected that we did our first MLM together I had like touched base with her and I was like oh like what um like, what are you doing now? And she was like, oh, I'm actually really anti-MLM. And then I was like, what? Like, tell me about this. And she like sent me all these resources. So I, I think, think I'm so thankful for her uh, yeah. that she shared all of those with me and that I was also out enough that I was like, oh, let me like find out about this. Um, right. But I wanted to circle back to your beginning of the story. You were just sure. casually listening to the dream podcast. Like that just came up for you. I was looking for information. Okay. So I... I think I had seen Stacey Bosley's TED video about the airplane game and sort of explaining pyramid schemes and how they worked. I'm like, if I compare this to the video that my ex shared me shared with me, I'd be like, these are these are too similar for me to really sort of distinguish between. So I went searching for content. And of course, at that time, I was lucky. The Dream podcast, I don't think had finished yet. This was in December of 2019, I believe. No, December of 2018. Yes, um, where I was listening to, I think Jane Marie was just finishing up the, the first season. So I was catching some of those episodes and then she released a couple of bonus episodes afterwards. Um, but that was really sort of eye-opening for me and really wanting to figure out how can, how can I support this? Um, but yeah, th that decision for supporting it was sort of removed from me when I was sort of cut out from his life. Um, and I had learned that me being cut out, it happened right around Valentine's Day. So obviously we were sort of gearing up to be a little bit closer. We were making arrangements to move in together. Um, he was going to, he was looking at possibly taking a job um, with one of the airlines here in Taiwan, um, which I was learning through that process that if he joined the airline, he wouldn't be able to maintain his contract with the MLM. Um, really? Many, there's companies here in Taiwan because it's so prolific. Um, it's about one in every three households. And these households are larger. They're not, they're not like in Canada where you might have four or five people living in a household. You have typically between eight to 10 people living in standard households because you have multi-generational families living in sort of um, three or four story homes, especially in the countryside. So having one I, every three households, there's one person likely involved in that household in an MLM here. It, it's not as common as you might think, but anyone you mention it to here in Taiwan knows about it. So it, it just shows how it's spread across the world as well in terms of this kind of like entrepreneurial activity. You want to be able to make some money, um, especially here where um, wages have stagnated. People have had trouble being able to overcome the problem. It, this is a very sort of like tech-centered um, country. It's producing most of the semiconductor chips that we use in all of our phones, computers, everything like that. It's produced here um, and then typically sh shipped uh, elsewhere. I actually live in the, the city where the main manufacturer um, is. So many students that are coming to my school, they come are coming from those wealthier families that are connected to those systems. But Many, it's interesting, many of the wives of the husbands that are working in these manufacturing centers are working in companies like Amway or Herbalife. I often, in my classroom, I'll see like a new skin or Atomy, which is a uh, South Korean um, company um, as well. So some of these MLMs have started outside the US, um, but using many of the systems that have been sort of born and bred 
um, within MLM. So it's infected so many people. So having having my ex involved and and um, some of the things that he had been experiencing, it, it wasn't su surprising once I got into and looked into it more because having anyone involved in an MLM is not overly surprising. One other thing that I would note about it as well is within the LGBTQ community here, um, they can be preyed upon uh, specifically before uh, gay marriage was passed here in Taiwan in 2019, I want to say. But I mean, there were sort of echoes of, of that going to be happening. People were sort of more closeted and reserved in terms of their family. I think they still are because obviously it's only been four years now and it takes yeah, not a time. full generation, but certainly half a generation for, for parents and adults to really sort of um, adopt um, that understanding uh, with a loved one that, that may come out. Um, and I think for, from my sense, and I, obviously it's, it's hard to be like, oh, is this really happening? Like, can I consult the Oracle and it tell me sort of why people are making this decision? But it, it seemed like MLMs were preying on individuals that wanted a reason outside of meeting other um, same-sex individuals they wanted a reason to be able to join up with them so they could tell their family and telling your family like, hey, I'm going to work on this sort of self-employed um, business um, that I'm looking to operate or I, I'm being a salesman. It really sort of preyed on individuals and based, based on what I could see in terms of anecdotal evidence and also just social media kind of lets you see networks in yeah. terms of how they are spreading out. Based on that information, I would say that they've done a really good job of using that kind of hidden quality to wanting to meet people who um, you could, could potentially build a relationship with. Um, it seems to at least start or, or be somewhat related to, or I even saw my ex's upline use his star power because he was originally a uh, um, TV star. Uh, and there was a, a scandal that was released um, for him um, that made him very popular within um, the um, gay community. And he, I, it's my, allegedly, my opinion that he was using that to sort of pull people in. Oh, that um, makes sense. To the organization. To, yeah, I mean, any, any star power that you have within MLM, you want to be able to, <laughs> unfortunately, exploit um, and pull, trap your victims in, in, in that sense. And you do it, with the best of intentions like I, I I want to sort of come at this as it it is a symptom of the broader problems with the system that people are doing this it's not that this person and I understood I I vilified them at first because I didn't understand this problem I didn't understand that like the system is set up this way they train you to do this and it's and admittedly it's a, a normal sales technique that you really want to build some sort of affinity with your customer um, you want them to sort of see that I am just like you and you will benefit from this product in the same way that I have. The way that it's done in MLM to mislead people in order to commit to monthly purchases of believing that they're going to make it far in this business and that they're going to be trained and honed and built to be able to sell this. It's just, it's, <laughs> I learned it was very awful. And that ties us 
not to sort of completely end my story there, but it ties us into this whole business opportunity, right? Kind of seeing what are the problems when someone is signing up for an MLM that they will have and need to be sort of addressed from a broad perspective. Like what can the government do to enforce regulations on how this opportunity should be presented? Because clearly there's issues with it. Clearly there's deception involved in the marketplace. Income and earning claims are one of those problems that they did address earlier last year um, with the previous comment session. But this one is looking specifically at that time of, time of sign up. What information should someone be given in order for them to make a wise, educated choice in joining a company? So we can go through a little bit of history. I know I, I, I hate to exhaust your listeners with, with all of these details of, of what's going on. So I'll keep it brief, but um, the business opportunity rule dates back many, many years. Um, go and listen to Doug Brooks. I believe he broke this down on Roberta's podcast. I, I believe I so. Believe Life after MLM. Yeah. Um, he links it with the franchise rule. I believe it started in the seventies where a lot of this work had sort of come into uh, legislative form. I think there were ideas and talks about it happening long before that. But the franchise rule was sort of, if you want to start a Subway restaurant, what do you need to know before you start that Subway restaurant? Because you're beginning a franchise, you're investing a lot of money and um, it becomes very costly. Um, as that evolved, it became clear that you couldn't include something like an MLM under that same rule because the disclosures that were necessary to invest in a million dollar business is not the same as you would need for a $500 business. Right. Um, so they continued to get a bunch of complaints though under that franchise rule for business opportunities, but it seems based on like all of the subtext of those complaints, they were pertaining to MLM or any sort of like coaching kind of enterprise business, but a lot of them were directed or it seemed to be directed towards MLM. So the FTC was spurred to create a business opportunity rule that addressed many of these opportunities. And in 2006, they proposed that rule. Um, they received 17,000 comments uh, at that time. Um, by our best guess, that seemed to be an industry push uh, within MLMs to get people to write in using what is essentially a form template from, based on looking through about 800 of the comments myself, it, which is a very small number of 17,000. Unfortunately, I couldn't, I couldn't invest all my time in doing all that. But not. it seemed like Quickstar, which is the sort of evolution of Amway to disguise, allegedly to disguise itself for the business inter internet world. Um, it had given many of its distributors a form that it could just sort of basically submit, plug in a few details, and then send it off to the FTC. So. Wow. The FTC receiving that overwhelming kind of attention uh, to this new rule um, really was hard pressed to apply it to MLM. So they set out five elements, which I'm gonna talk about in a few, few moments because that's kind of how you can tailor your, your comment. But uh, with those five elements, they said it would only apply to business opportunities that um, you had to spend over $500 to register for. So then you saw all of these MLMs that had product kits that were signup fees over 500. You saw them lower that price to like 499. Yep. So now they no longer qualified under the business opportunity rule. 
and they could sort of operate free reign without any regulation in their space of how that opportunity needed to be presented. Now the DSA came forward and said, hey, we'll develop our own code of ethics and this is how we're going to sort of enforce um, standards within this environment. They also established the DSSRC in 2019. The DSSRC stands for Direct Selling Self-Regulatory Council. Um, so again, they're trying to set up this narrative that they're policing um, the uh, regulation space around MLM and, and keeping the space safe for consumers and distributors alike. Um, fortunately, it's not just my opinion that they're not doing that. Um, Tina has even come forward. Um, and I think the FTC has also signaled this in their previous comments that perhaps there's industry collusion and coordination that is causing deception to still sort of persist within the marketplace. But Tina came out at the MLM conference this past year pointing out that the DSSRC is not necessarily effectively um, policing many of the behaviors and none of the uh, reports that have been filed by the DSSRC belong to DSA organizations, even though the same habits that have been reported by the DSSRC are committed by those DSA uh, companies. So this is a problem and it needs to be addressed. Um, so some of that evidence is valuable to offer, but not necessary in, in anyone's comment. Um, I do want to get into and help you yeah. <laughs> also maybe consider for yourself what kind of things we could say in these comments, because it, it's so valuable to share our own experience um, based on how the FTC has used the income and earnings claim AMPR information. They have over appreciated the personal stories that have been shared there. Um, That's they've amazing. Quoted, they've quoted some of these stories that have been shared in those comments and used them when discussing the problems with the industry to the DSA, to other um, organizations that um, represent this space. They're using that information and victim stories, for lack of a better term, um, to communicate the problems. And if they have more of that here, um, speaking with some of the people within the FTC, I know that they would find it very valuable. So and any additional information specifically related to when you signed up for a company or when you were offering the company to other people would be very valuable um, in this comment session. Yeah, so like what? Okay, so last time we did this, it was, I feel like we kind of just encourage more of like a general comment about like your experience with MLM. We did kind of try to say like, you know, if you can talk about um, some of this, like when you first started, what was that like? But I don't feel like that was something that we super, super pushed last time we did this. Okay, slight te technical difficulty there. I'm not sure if it kept that part of the recording or not. And um, since we're recording literally Thursday night before we're dropping this, uh, and I'm not going to have time to edit it. So uh, just in case it didn't save, I was just saying last time we did the FTC commenting, we didn't super push the um, the to comment about the beginning part of your MLM journey, like how you were recruited, what that looked like. And now... Um, it sounds like this is more of what we're looking for is to really like capture that beginning part of your journey of what did it look like when you were approached and um, 
And I would encourage as a mental health professional, like really do some like internal looking in of like, how are you feeling when that happened? Um, I know that when I was approached for my MLMs, I was always um, in a heightened state when I, I would get very excited. Um, I, I wasn't like manic, but like more, I, I have ADHD. So like, I'm more on that, like very high hyper level of like, yes, like this is very exciting. And like my impulsivity was like drawn in. And so I'd be all in and ready to go and let me sign up and I need to do it today and let's go. And they were like, also pushing that of like, let's go. You need to do it today. Like if you don't do it today, you're not going to get this special deal and da, 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 da. So um, really, I think that that should be highlighted in, in your comments too, because sometimes, um, when we just kind of type out our stories, it might sound just like I was approached, like, you know, you're making it really dry. I was approached. I signed up. I was excited. Like mm. that doesn't yeah. really show the whole story about what's going on here and the manipulation that's happening and like the playing on your emotions that's happening. And also we're not talking about what was disclosed and what was not disclosed. Right. And that should have been covered under the business opportunity rule. So if the business opportunity rule existed for you, you probably would not have, and I'm talking about you, Danielle, you probably would not have signed up because you would have had to wait seven days before you were able to do anything with the business. So you could sign a contract, but you had to wait seven days before you got your account before you were able to start selling, before you were able to be added to all the team's chats and everything like that, that were going to love bomb you, you were going to be given, you should have been given seven days under the business opportunity rule to allow you to digest the decision that you were making, go through some of the information that you'd been provided so you can make a educated decision on this. And, th and that I think in many ways would do a lot, not, not only for like stopping people from jumping into this and feeling like they really need to like, go full tilt into uh, MLM. But I mean, even for the MLM companies, right? If the, the business is so centered on sales, you don't want a bunch of people who don't know how to do sales and are just sort of activated by sort of this kind of warm glow of the moment. And also being told like, don't worry about sales. You just need to <laughs> recruit or, or find other people um, to, continue to invest in the product which is is not what they should be saying uh, under this opportunity rule but again they should only want people who have really considered this know that it's something they want to be doing for a long time and then they don't need to worry about all of this retraining that needs to take place because they can't retain their their individuals giving this seven day waiting period is not only beneficial for the individual who's signing up, it's beneficial for the companies themselves if they're dedicated to sales. Unfortunately, I think they are not. Right. And I think that's one of the reasons why they worry about this. And this was seen in the comments as well, um, in the 17,000 comments before. Many people said that this would destroy their business if they had to tell customers, you have to wait. Well, they said customers, you had to wait seven days before you got your products. Because in their eyes, they're see at this time, they were seeing it as many of the people were signing up to get the products at a discount. This is sort of this wives tale that is told within the industry that like most people 
who sign up to be a distributor only want the product at a discount. Based on any of the evidence that we have gathered as advocates in the consumer protection mm -hmm. space, that is not true. It is not a majority at all. There are some people, and we have to acknowledge yeah. that nuance. I think that the other thing, sorry, the other thing that I think happens a lot too that like that helps that narrative is that you are told to make these ghost accounts of your family members. And like, you're like, oh, well, like I'm already buying the protein powder for my mom. So I'll just create an account for her. So she has her own sales account, but you're still buying it for her through her account. And like, you know, you're, you're just manipulating where the money's going. And yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. And that's going to sit on the data. So when the FTC is looking at that information, when they're looking into this company, they see this account is only purchasing the product. They're not building a team off of their account. That reinforces the idea of the MLMs, unfortunately. Right. But you're absolutely right. It's not just your experience. We're hearing this from multiple people now that these accounts are being created. And in fact, in your last podcast, I'm doing this as a teacher because we always jump back to the last lesson that happened before, <laughs> but uh, Tracy was saying that her offline had recruited her own hairdresser who didn't know about this, somehow got her social security number or whatever you needed to sort of sign her up, right? And, and Tracy was told, you never tell the hairdresser this from her offline because she didn't want her to know about this. But this is sort of the lengths that you're driven to in order to not necessarily sell the product legitimately, but to be able to sign out up sales representatives for it. And this has really changed in the marketplace as well from this 2006 rule, because now companies are trying to offer these VIP programs. So the, the VIP customer programs. So you can sign up, basically get the same discount that a distributor would get, but you're still sort of affiliated as a, or associated as a customer. So the concerns regarding the seven day waiting period in order to sign up as a representative should be completely negated. And, and having that communicated in, in a comment is, is, is very useful. We have to be careful not to necessarily approach this from the angle of like, we wanna destroy MLM, MLMs are bad because the FTC cannot, cannot implement a rule if it shows that it's going to negatively impact um, the business marketplace. Mm -hmm. um, and unfortunately, we, at this time, we, don't, we really need academics to step forward and say, all of these MLM systems do not operate effectively. They essentially devolve into pyramid schemes, which is my personal belief. And like all of the numbers that I've run for it, it does show that. But we don't have a peer-reviewed journal that is publishing this information from qualified academics. And the FTC can't act on anything until that happens. So in the meantime, we have to sort of acknowledge that, okay, let's pretend that MLM is a legitimate business and it's not just operating on this sort of sales dependent or salesman dependent purchases as opposed to actual right. market demand for the products. Um, and right. you, you are giving this seven day waiting period that ultimately gives people that space to carefully digest their decision and, and wait for that. And, and that's one of the five things that I wanted to talk about earlier for, for these disclosures. So thank you for bringing that up. I, I think if you include anything in your comment, talk about that, how, how valuable that seven day waiting period would be. And even talk about it in terms of like, if you built an organization with an MLM, how valuable that would have been for you like qualifying proper salesmen. So you, your business could really sort of depend on those sales as opposed to needing to really push and, and force um, recruitment and, and that drive. Cause you see, I, I, 
do you know if in Arbonne and um, Beachbody, the ones that you were in, was there any sort of like fast start um, guide for you? Yeah, um, there were some different like fast start things uh, that happened, um, but I didn't, I didn't qualify for any of those. Um, they were ridiculously hard to meet. Like, I mean, it's all recruiting. Right. So yeah. And, and, and that's the major point, right? So any of these plans that they're giving you when you first get started, barely any of it is like, we want to get you sort of comfortable with making these sales. Let's yeah. educate you on how you approach the product, right? They kind of see it as, and this is my conjecture, but most of the education that they give on the product is not for the customers inside the, the program. It's for the individual who's inside the program. It's yeah. for you. It's to convince you that, hey, I'm in the right place. I'm doing all this good stuff for my family. I'm getting them the, the best nutrition that's available on the planet, right? It can't just be like within this region or within yeah. my sort of spending limit. No, it has to be like, this is in the, the best thing in the universe. You can't, <laughs> you can't find anything else on any other planet um, that will get you this, this good thing. So again, it, all of that is, is relevant and important. And you can include that in your comment, but even if you just sort of put that, having that seven day, day waiting period would have made me make such a better decision in terms of joining this business and being able to um, dedicate myself to it and sort of spelling that out in, in your own way and, and framing it based on your own experience. I, the FTC would be benefited just from that comment alone. Yeah, I, I honestly, um, anyone who's like even listened this far, I think it's also important that we say at this point when the uh, deadline is, because we haven't mentioned that yet. So, because it's fast approaching for this round. Yes. So it's January 30, I'll say 30th, because I I'm I believe it could be 31st, but get your comment in by the 30th and that way you can definitely be certain um, that it will be okay. It was extended, so it was previously due on the 24th, um, but we were granted a week extension. But as you were saying, this is not the last step in the business opportunity rule consideration. Um, there will be uh, additional phases to it. I don't expect the industry to really sort of do a hard push for comments this time. That will come when the actual draft of the the new rule is published. But yeah. yeah. So I mean, if anyone wasn't around last year, if you got out of your MLM within 2022, you probably weren't consuming MLM or anti-MLM content at that time. So if you're just wondering what on earth to say, even just a comment saying, you know, if I had seven days, it definitely would have made a difference and it, it could have stopped me from joining. Mm -hmm. Like that is so important and that voice alone is enough. And I don't want anyone to think that that voice doesn't matter. It absolutely does. So like, I know that there's a lot of pressure sometimes to write these comments and people get really nervous. Um, and I just want, you know, if you're listening, you're like, I want to help, but I don't know how, like it, it can be very simple. It doesn't need to be this long narrative or super educational, like they just want to hear your voices and hear what could be helpful. Mm -hmm. And uh, to put that at ease even further, there are a number of academics commenting on this as well. And they're offering their sort of educated kind of professional. Like if you look at their letters, you might be intimidated because like they lay it out in such a professional format. Don't worry about that. Just, just yeah. put your experience in one paragraph. 
honestly, I think those were used more often by the FTC than anything that Stacey Bosley wrote, Bill Keep wrote, any of the academics that operate within the space. Yeah. Because that's informative for them. But really, the, the thing that really moves people are those personal experiences um, that people can speak to. Um, all that educational data might help formulate a new policy, but your experience helps educate others on the need for, for these right. rules. Right. And even my comment the first time around, I I don't remember what I wrote at this point, but I remember it wasn't very long. Like I, I was literally, I was stuck in some ADHD spiral and I was like, Danielle, you just need to do it. So I just got something in there and posted it. Cause I was like, mm-hmm. you're leading, you're helping lead the charge and you haven't written a comment. <laughs> Right. So, um, you know, it really doesn't have to be pretty or anything like super fantastic. Like we're not writing theses here. Um, so that's okay. So anyways, what's your next point that you want people to bring into these? And I'll, I'll quickly go through them because Mm -hmm. at at this point, I don't want to exhaust people. And we probably can reference like when we're pushing this out, like go to this timestamp in the the podcast if you want to know more about it. But um, they needed to give evidence of a return policy, which, I mean, when you sign up, did you know about Arbonne's uh, return policy or Beachbody's return policy? Was that something that was presented to you? Yeah, I think that, so I was in Plexus and I think that they had a 30 day and then Arbonne, it was either 30 or 60 days. Um, And that was always just such a glorious selling point for people, you know, they really tried to highlight they, they, that they push, the positive. they push it right this is kind of make you feel like oh the sunk cost isn't that real with right. this this group right and i think ultimately some people do return the product but i think at the time that you leave there's so much attached to you returning that product that that isn't sort of necessarily completely registered in the marketplace right because you you build a an association with these teams and when you're signing that like i'm returning this and you're doing that checkbox that i have nothing to return or when you're crossing the t's and dotting your eyes on your sort of removal contract um you think that you're doing your team a disservice by returning that product because then they lose the they get um chargebacks in terms of um that those purchases that you had originally made Right. So you, I, I, I've heard from some people saying they didn't want to do those returns because of that. And ultimately, please do like anyone who's listening to this podcast, is considering getting out of the NMO, please do return those products. Your upline and the people that you've built an affiliation with might take a hit in that that case. But the business needs to absorb that cost and it needs to make different adjustments for that. That's not your responsibility. The business treats it this way. Um, and ultimately you shouldn't be out out that cost at the end of of this time especially with this policy there it it exists for a reason right the the industry has this as a standard because you should be able to return that product because of all the deception that you were under at that time right yeah um and also especially if you're considering leaving and you have all of this product in your house like figure out how much of that you can return like you've already lost so much money, probably most likely, especially if you do have a big back back stock of product, um, figure out what, what you are able to return because, um, anything that you can get back is important. If you plan to mm-hmm. use the products, like that's totally fine. I know that there are different levels of anti MLM and everyone's on their own journey. Um, so if you do have a use for your products, that's totally fine. But if they're just going to sit there like mine did, um, that I still have some in my closet that I'm never going to use. 
Um, like, please get your money back if you can. It's so important. Mm-hmm. It's your and, money. And one more, one more point on that. If you are having trouble with it, um, and you want like a quick method that helps resolve that, it seems like complaints that you uh, send to the Better Business Bureau. This is not the national program that's associated with the DSSRC, but the actual website one. Um, these companies want to maintain the image that they're a very sort of strong company. So they have, they often do respond to any complaints that are put there. So if you put a complaint that you were trying to return this product as a distributor, um, they will typically respond to it and they cover their backs in terms of actually making true on that, that promise. So it can be a really good way to ensure that you're getting um, that, t- that money back at, at the time that you're leaving. So putting that complaint into the Better Business Bureau can really sort of enhance that that chance to get there and this kind of fits into like sort of maintaining this image um one of the other areas of the better the business opportunity rule um that was applicable is you had to disclose any legal actions that have been taken against your company which i imagine in many cases that's not upfront. did did you ever have the experience danielle at sign up where they disclosed oh we had these previous no uh lawsuits against us um, you can read about the results on on this website. Would that have changed your decision at all? Do you think? Oh, or- probably. I mean, I'm sure. Like, I mean, just hearing lawsuits in general is uh, such a scary thing um, that I don't want to be involved in. So, hmm. um, yeah, I definitely would have reconsidered at that point. Yeah, sure. I it, it it could be. I think it's. It's one point, and and this is what a a lot of people who were commenting on this rule were saying is like, if I had to tell people before they accepted this opportunity that there were all these lawsuits when the US is so full of lawsuits and people will sue anyone for anything, why would they sign up with me when they can just go work at Subway where they they don't have to disclose how many lawsuits Subway has been under um, to work as an employee? So there is that aspect to it. But I mean, in this case, you are representing this entire company and you have to attach your identity to this company so when you are attaching your identity you should be fully aware of the reputation that's carried with this company so when you are presenting yourself as a member of that company um, it goes without saying that that you should know at least how these cases turned out um, if you're interested and curious about that um, if you right. decide that, that that doesn't matter, that that's totally fine. I don't think it, it neg- negatively reflects against you, um, but it should be brought to your attention. If you go to this website, it lists all of the cases that have been brought before this company. And it also has the link to any of these case documents. So you can see the outcome of so, those situations. So what we're saying right now is that if any of these like kind of points that we're bringing up would have helped you or changed your mind or stopped you, you should mention them in your comment. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. yeah. yeah Cause I mean, for sure. I mean, I, I'm thinking about your subway example too. Like, you know, if I think about the kid at subway that's working there, if I find out that, like, I, I don't want to say anything, I don't want subway to come after me, but you know, making up some sort of fake lawsuit from subway and that they're dealing with, I'm not going to go back and blame that kid. But if I'm buying a product directly from someone and then like, there's a big issue in a lawsuit, then I am going to look at that representative and be like, well, why didn't you tell me about this? Or why did, why, why are you acting like everything's fine? And that this is the best thing in the world when all these things are happening and people's hair is falling out and 
all that stuff. When you're driving a pink Cadillac, right? Like right. all of that is sort of attached to your identity now. Definitely. Right. So it, it, it's very valuable. The other piece is, is connected to the earnings claim. Um, so what kind of representation do they make in terms of how much money um, you could make in this scheme? So um, you can link to your comment in this case because the business opportunity rule really sort of sets guidelines or, or benchmarks in terms of what should or should not be um, disclosed at this time in terms of what you could make. Unfortunately, and I think that the comment, previous comment se session really helped highlight this is that the earnings claims are, are pretty well policed at this time. I, I think that they can be presented in a way. I was listening to a doctor speak about getting signed up for Arbonne and she was shown the income disclosure statement at the time of sign up. And her eyes went immediately to that top income bracket. And she was like, yep. wow, I can make this much money in this. And that's the wrong way to think about this. So I do recommend, Stacey Bosley did a really great presentation during the second MLM conference um, about how these disclosures should be presented in terms of a graphical format to really show you like, <laughs> there's like this sliver of people that are making this money at the top end and all of the like, peaks of income are happening at the negative to zero to $15 range in the annual sort of income from this, really showing that, representing it properly to someone and helping them understand that this is the lifetime in this current snapshot. So you have thousands of people not caught, captured in this one moment who have left the company because they weren't making any money. So really those peaks should be much higher. And that sliver that you see at the 100,000 or 100,000 plus range, you wouldn't even be able to consider that in, in an image like that when you look long-term at these companies. So considering how this should be presented is important. It really, many of these companies, even though they've evolved from making the statement that they're a get rich quick investment that really require no effort. Nowadays, they're switching to say, actually, you do need to work hard and your effort is sort of proven in these companies. They still fail to recognize or mention that most of the individuals that are succeeding today joined a number of years ago, and they are sort of the, the cycle of evolution for building those massive downlines. So you are helping to contribute to their success and it's very unlikely that you will ever reach their level because the market has been exhausted because the conditions are not favorable for you to achieve these outcomes. Like an earnings claim that is legitimate will claim that, but instead they adopt this sort of persona of like, no, you just really need to work hard in the sales of this when that's not yeah. at all what we've seen in any of the data from these companies. And I think what happened for me when I joined was uh, I was one of those people that was like, oh, well, like wouldn't like $500 a month, like change your life. And I was like, yeah, like that would, that'd be great. $500 a month would be fantastic. Um, extra in my pocket. Like, you know, that's definitely a couple bills right there. Um, so I think that I was presented with the income. If I'm recalling correctly, I was presented with the income disclosure. And then I immediately went right to like, what does it look like to make $500. And I was like, okay, so like, this is what I need to do to make $500. I just need to recruit however many people that is. Um, and like, when it comes down to it, it's like, what, like, so you need to have like 20 active people under you. And you're like, okay, like, I just need to have 20 active people. Like when you just start saying that it sounds like nothing. Mm -hmm. Like, you, you were thinking like all those other people are going to contribute to it. But then when you have to sign up ghost accounts, those people aren't doing anything. They, right. they don't, they don't properly exist. 
Um, yeah, so there's that earnings and income thing. And then the final thing, which this was the most contentious, like a, of all of the issues that people had with the business opportunity rule and its application to MLM, um, this one, based on my sort of um, scan of all of the comments, this one had the, the most problems. The business opportunity rule stated that you should offer 10 downline distributor referrals to anyone who's signing up. Now there's two parts to this. And, and I think Stacey Bosley covered this really good in her comment for this session. She argued no one should be calling anyone who is currently a distributor for a company to get a better assessment of the company um, because they're only gonna be feeding you the same information that you were just given by the distributor who's trying to sign you up. Right, you're, it's, it's very hard for them to tell you the truth of what's going on in that organization because there's many contractual obligations that they have within the company to not disclose what's really happening. Um, if you speak bad about the company, right, like that can be um, used against you um, based on some of the, the um, articles you might have signed within your um, contract, your independent contract uh, with the company. And also, they should instead be reaching out to other people who are outside of this organization. And unfortunately, there's no nonprofit that exists of like, these are resources for you if you're considering joining this business opportunity. Perhaps that is something that opens up if this business opportunity rule actually exists within MLM because it, it provides that sort of reason for an organization like that to exist, to sort of be a, a somewhat like a nonprofit consultant of people considering these opportunities and, and understanding whether or not they're actually going to produce the type of income that people are, are hoping for. Um, but this referral case, based on Stacy's arguments, it's sort of negated in that sense of like, you don't necessarily wanna, within the advocacy space, we typically will refer to these organizations, especially in the social dynamics of it as being a cult. Um, it's a commercial cult associated as, as branded and associated by Steve Hassan. I will point out, it's not just the bite model that's important in, in that consideration, but it's also his influence continuum. You have to partner those together if you're assessing an organization. So an organization can exhibit all of the bite characteristics or many of the bite characteristics, but if those are for a constructive means as opposed to a um, destructive means, um, it, Hassan would still consider that a, a valuable organization. But the moment those behaviors shift towards on the, his influence continuum towards the destructive means uh, of your life, that's where you should be raising those concerns. And that's where it would uh, deserve the label of a commercial cult. Um, I <laughs> Please talk to Steve Hassan about yeah. those actual ideas, but based on listening to a number of his material, that seems to be one area that, that needs to be improved in this space. And when you're sort of, if you are going to be commenting on that, I, I would sort of include that caveat. But again, you don't want to be sending a distributor who's going to sign up for an organization to these people that are wrapped up in that kind of social dynamic. Um, right. So there's that problem. And then on the other angle, and this is sort of where I approach my comment from, was it's this concern for privacy. And many people were commenting about this. I remember one comment was like, if I put my, my number here and my address, people are going to show up while I'm cutting the lawn with my shirt off. And I'm not going to want to talk to them because I'm also sweaty and hot from cutting my lawn. And I like just the scenario that they were painting, it's very salesman-like, right? Because you need to sort of give that picture to the, the person who is making that image. But it was just it was funny for me 
to see how this is being painted. Um, but the concern for privacy is real, right? I mean, in, in today's age, you're not going to want to put your name on something that people are just going to be calling you randomly at all hours of the night, right? Like this, right. this just seemed like a bad idea in terms of its its relation to MLM. Now, what I was suggesting is because a lot of companies nowadays have back offices. If you can have some sort of dummy account that you can give to potential distributors while they're going through that seven day waiting period where they could look through some of the disclosure documents, look through some of the material, they have some sort of means of chatting with individuals to get a sense of what's going on. If an individual sees that, hey, these five people that I've talked to within the organization all say the exact same thing, hopefully there's enough education out there to understand that that's a red flag, right? Like no one should have the exact same experience. But right. I mean, with all the other things that are in this disclosure document, if it is essential and there, there needs to be a way for people to access individuals within the organization, I believe that there's the technical capacity for these organizations to do that without violating people's privacy concerns. Um, if it's only available through some sort of platform and it's not linked to someone's email address or phone number or, or physical address, um, this should still be possible. So that's all to say that from my perspective, much of this business opportunity rule could apply to MLM. Now, I do hold the perspective that granting this business opportunity rule and allowing it to cover MLM kind of gives MLM the legitimacy that I don't think the FTC has ever really fully acknowledged. Like the FTC has never pointed to an MLM and said, hey, this one is actually operating the way that we would deem legitimate. They've right. never sort of crossed that line to be like, hey, this is the model MLM um, that others should uh, represent. I don't think the FTC should do that. Right, it doesn't do that for other um, areas of the market, so it shouldn't be doing that. But I worry that this this business opportunity rule would necessarily do that. That being said, I think that there's there's nothing really else that helps protect consumers in this marketplace. So even though this might grant some legitimacy to these organizations, it will help to limit the harm that is currently taking place in the marketplace. So even though it's not the best solution, um, the business opportunity rule does seem to be. Um, something that that could help to limit the type of harm that happens because in my in my assessment these are not commercial opportunities either. these are not actual businesses a business is where I have a product that is valued in the marketplace that people want to be able to purchase and people can engage with me to engage to exchange money for that product um, because they truly want it and the, these organizations it's all about hype it's all about the opportunity it's only those individuals that are involved in the organization that see any value in the product because that value that that value is not tied to the product necessarily it's typically tied to the loyalty that you can display through your teammates and the points that you are awarded through the incentive system that gets you that income um, that you could be given that is not a business right it, if those are the incentives that are involved in my opinion that is not a true business so again, a tying a business opportunity rule to an MLM in that sense, I have reservations in doing that, but I do hope that the harm is limited um, by um, having think, these rules. Yeah, I think that, you know, one of the things that this is attempting to address is that endless chain, which is, in my opinion, I mean, there are so many problems. So I hesitate to say the biggest problem, but I mean, pyramid scheme wise, that would be the the biggest problem in the business, right? 
so I this should help to stop that endless chain a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. but it, it's definitely not enough because if the pressure is still on, this doesn't seem to really be addressing the recruiting enough to stop it. Um, it would be more about stopping people from making decisions that they didn't really fully think out, which I know is super important and definitely needs to happen, but, um, it's not addressing the structure of you need to recruit so many people to be a Prince of Sparkle junior consultant. (laughs) Right. Yes. And you are awarded with that unicorn horn at the convention. Yeah, definitely. It's it's a step. And, and at this point in advocacy, if we can get the government to start taking steps towards MLMs, I need to set aside my sort of definition ego and just sort of embrace the fact that like, we need to start here. And hopefully, as these rules come into place, even more evidence comes forward for the case that um, using this system of compensation um, there can be no profit, proper market, marketplace developed because there's always going to be that incentive to recruit versus actually sell a product. Absolutely. To a customer. So. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Is there anything else that you think that we should talk about before we wrap up for today? I, I think I should give everyone a rest. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully they, they took this in parts, maybe paused it at, at each um, uh, area that we, we discussed. But <laughs> honestly, just to reinforce the idea, you can comment on just one of these and that would be phenomenal. Having your personal experience on any of these points that we just discussed about the potential business opportunity rule would be so valuable for the FTC. Right. And so I guess, oh, I guess this would be important too, is how do you make a comment and where do people go? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I could give you a super long URL to go to, but that's not super useful. One very good resource has been established by Michelle Carpenter or a fallible spoonie on uh, uh, Instagram is mlmchange.org. Uh, if you go to that website, uh, it'll help direct you to the FTC uh, portal. You can look up uh, register uh business opportunity rule FTC but that, again that's another um, Google search that it could just lead you astray so again mlmchange.org is a, a website that helps link you to this so perfect all right oh um my final uh question of the podcast is always yes. what is your anti-mlm why um, I I don't want to see people go through the pain and suffering that I saw my ex go through. I, it was so, it was so destructive for my own personal mental health to see someone go through that. And I committed at that time to be like, I need to do all that I can to try to help people see this problem before they get consumed by it. And I have sort of been dedicating myself to to making sure that I, I do everything to prevent as opposed to um, try to intervene because the intervention I, I was unsuccessful with, I can approach it a little bit better now, but yeah, um, it's that prevention piece that is so key for me uh, at this stage of my anti-MLM journey. So very good question. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for coming on and waking up so early. <laughs> so yeah. no, I really you, appreciate Daniel. you. 
And I appreciate all, right. all of the things that you do uh, for this space and for the people that are um, getting out because, you know, it's not all about making content and putting it out there. Sometimes like, you know, we need the people that are on the back end that are doing the things and going to the meetings and talking to the FTC. Um, and uh, I think that a lot of people don't know that there are people or maybe they know and don't really think about it, but there are a lot of people out there that are doing that behind the scene work that isn't really talked about a lot. So thank you for what you do. And thank you for this podcast. It's it, it's awesome. It's a great resource for everyone. So thank you. All thank right, you. everyone. I hope you have a fabulous weekend and I'll see you next time. Bye. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best. It's possible pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line it's possible complex specialty care that cares about your roi it's possible because we're already doing it all while saving businesses billions that's wonder made possible learn more at evernorth.com wonder hey huns i just wanted to take a second to tell you guys about acorn and no this is not a sponsored ad Acorn is a robo-investing account that I've been using to manage my money since I've started my own small business. I honestly had no idea what I was doing in regards to saving for the future, but knew I needed to start somewhere and thought this was a great way to get the ball rolling. I really like the interactive graphics and watching what's going on with my money. If this is something that you feel interested in, feel free to click the link in my bio to start your own Acorn account and we'll both get $5 added in our accounts for our investing future. Happy savings!